0: Let's open up in prayer. Lord, as our first song said, I ask that you would speak to us, that we would hear the truths that have been unchanged since the dawning of time, that we would delight in you who speaks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again. so Rachel and I, my wife, my wife, Rachel, and I just finished a, a TV series on Netflix. Go figure, we're watching Netflix when we're socially isolated. Uh, and it, it's it's not a Netflix series, but it was a series called Waco. It was about Waco, Texas, about the 1993 um, tragedy of uh, the storming of a Branch Davidian cult compound Um the, uh, it, it, the it the I mean if you remember it if it, basically what had happened was there was a firearms violation potentially and the ATF stormed um, that their 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 assault failed and then uh, the FBI came in and it turned into a fifty one day standoff um, where. Essentially, they just sat outside. Uh, the The TV show was actually really slanted toward the group. One of the group that survived the assault uh, consulted on it, and he's he's come a long way since then, but he spent a lot of time on the set, a lot of time writing the script. Uh, he wrote his own memoirs about it, which coincided actually with the uh, hostage negotiator that was there. Um, so, I mean, it, it slanted toward the group, and it kind of actually put some pretty big charges against the FBI and the ATF. Um, so, uh, what, what was really fascinating in the show, though, was watching the people and their, their just undying allegiance to their leader, who, is, who's, who went by the name David Koresh. Um, and one of the things you see and you typically see in those cult groups is, is this air of secrecy, right? That, that here's, here's the guy. He's up on a pedestal. Um, uh, you know, everything happens behind closed doors. And there's, there's very little in terms of, of public, um, uh, pro, uh, pro, public proof of the claims. It's always, just wait, just wait, just wait. Then you'll see. But that's not actually totally the case with Jesus. Um, it, it, our text today actually covers uh, Jesus's very public ministry in Galilee. Uh, he was he was very well known in the region through this ministry that he he continued doing. And last week we uh, we were informed that um, by by again we were informed by the text that Jesus called his first disciples very personally when he returned to this region of Galilee, which was their home. And two weeks ago, uh, we found out that Jesus was actually living in Capernaum, which is verse 13, Matthew 4, verse 13, uh, meaning that he set up shop for ministry in Galilee. And Galilee was not, it it wasn't the most pleasant place. Um, So let's go ahead and read our text for today. Be reminded of those things, but read our text. So we're in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 23. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you're not there already and, and listen to these two verses, 23 and 25. And he went throughout, he Jesus, and he went throughout all, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. It's the word of the Lord. So in those few verses, actually, you know, what's funny is when you, if you were to listen to other pastors who preach through this text, they lump in verses 18 through 25. So they lump in the calling of the first disciples and then also Jesus ministering to crowds and crowds in in Galilee. And that's wise. I didn't make that choice. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but um, I think I, I wanted to hit on this text separate because it hits on something ex- extremely important for what Jesus was doing in terms of ministry. Um, remember, uh, itinerant preachers, itinerant teachers were, were extremely common in Jesus's time. So when we read that he goes throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, that was a common practice. Um... You, uh, synagogues, synagogue, a synagogue was a meeting place for Jews so they could gather together and be instructed from the law be instructed in other things too they would be instructed in how to read uh, they would be instructed in, in how to write they would be instructed in a lot of things but its primary purpose was for them to gather about the law um, in fact the Greek word synagoge which is where we get the word synagogue because it's obviously not a word we would we would make up an English language, it doesn't sound like anything, uh, but, but it literally means together meet, or meet together, or bring together. So, um, synagogues, the whole purpose was for the Jews to meet there. And when these traveling teachers would, would come, they, they would almost always be given time to teach. They, they were, they were. They, it was like an open mic night for, uh, for teachers to just come in and give their latest teaching, try and find some worthy disciples, and carry on their teaching, go throughout. You know, you, you would. It, it, it was kind of like the traveling preachers of the eighteen hundreds um, in America, where preachers would would go from place to place, and they would just minister 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 they would they would give a message give a message give a message and they would do that all throughout the United States um, This common practice in both the first century and the 1800s gave rise to a lot of cults and and, and sex and and groups and weird denominations based around wacky interpretations of things um, much like the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, much like David Koresh, who gained a following by being given an open mic. So uh, this, this general thing was, uh, we don't really know where this practice came from. Um, it's not an Old Testament practice to have, you know, open mic for teacher night. Um, so really it might've actually come from the Greek influence. The Greeks actually, as a nation ruled over, uh, Jerusalem, ruled over Judah, ruled over the Jews, um, prior to the Romans. So, uh, we, this might be an idea that they had kind of propagated. Uh, The synagogue as a teaching place in terms of more than just the law was something that was brought in by the Greeks, after all. So this might be something that was birthed out of that particular culture. Um, The Greeks loved sharing and hearing new ideas. They just did. Uh, if, If you turn to Acts 17, you don't have to, but Acts 17 has Paul in Athens which was a Greek capital city originally, in Athens, sharing new ideas. Uh, He he notices all these idols, and he sees one to an unknown god, and he's teaching, actually, from from the Torah, from the law of Moses, just like Jesus did in synagogues. Um, And then you get get to verse 17 of Acts 17, and I'll go ahead and read a couple verses from it. So Paul, he... So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons and in the marketplace every day and with, uh, with those who happened to be there. So as people were coming through, he would talk to them. He would, he would engage them with the gospel. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, which are two Greek philosophies, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a, teacher, a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? See, they wanted to hear the new idea. So in Matthew 4, when we see Jesus going and teaching in the synagogues, the Jews had a similar idea. We, oh, let's hear this new idea. Let's hear this new teaching. That just wasn't very uncommon. It, it, was, it was all over the place at the time. So, Jesus taught in the synagogues, um, and and, and then, (laughs) what's funny, by the way, is in the New Testament, we're actually warned very clearly to not do this. We are not supposed to have open teacher night. Um, We're warned frequently to not allow this because false teachers will come into our midst. We're supposed to be bound to the truth, bound to the text. We're not supposed to give time to false teachers, we're warned actually by Jesus in Matthew 7:15. We're, we're warned by Peter in Second 2 Peter 2:1 2, to3. We're warned by Paul in Ephesians 4:14 to 15, and multiple times to the Corinthians. So there's various times in the New Testament where we're straight up told, "Hey, watch out for false teachers. Avoid them. Don't let them speak." But that's kind of how Jesus got to start, man. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he was able to start his teaching ministry, but not just with that. See, in our text, we also find out that he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus would have been welcomed in synagogues to teach, but he didn't teach like other teachers. He, just, he didn't just teach his things. He also proclaimed this gospel. Uh, several weeks back, we actually discussed what it means to proclaim or herald Um, I use the example of a herald announcing victory to a town or region, victory of a battle, victory of a war, victory of something grand. So when we hear that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, it means that he was announcing that his kingdom is coming and that he is king. He was announcing this. Jesus was being both the prophet, the mouthpiece, the herald, But he was also the king coming and giving the message directly. That's awesome. But any madman can announce that he's king. Any madman can have a new teacher, or a new teaching, like David Koresh from from the Branch Davidians. Any person can come in and have this, this claim of a teaching. They can have a a a proclamation. But Jesus didn't stop there. We also read that uh, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Every disease, every affliction. Everybody that came to him, he was healing. So Jesus didn't just teach and preach. He had this third ministry that he did that proved what he said. Uh, medical knowledge at the time was, was severely limited. Um, germ theory wouldn't come out until a couple centuries later, several centuries later. So the news that there was somebody who was able to heal every disease and every affliction spread like wildfire. And, and that's even what verse 24 says. It says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. It wasn't spreading necessarily only because of his teaching and preaching or only because of his healing, but it was the conglomeration of those three things. That Jesus was a teacher, not like the Pharisees, as we'll find out later, but he speaks with somebody who actually has authority. He has authority as, as, as somebody who's heralding this good news, and he's actually proving that authority. That's what the purpose of the healing was. And look at the things that Jesus healed too. He healed diseases. So he healed colds, he healed flus, he healed leprosies, he would have healed malaria and Lyme disease and and forms of scarlet fever and, and leishmaniasis. He would have healed infections. He would have healed wounds that had been festering. He was an all-around awesome physician. But not just diseases, he was also healing pains. He was healing sprains and breaks and twisted ankles and and wrists that were bent weird and chronic injuries and chronic fatigue and and people with clubbed feet. He would have been healing injuries that didn't heal correctly, which I, I know plenty of you have experience with. He would have been healing back problems. He would have been healing things that surgeries even nowadays can't even dream of fixing. He healed headaches. He healed brain bleeds. But he didn't just stop at diseases and pains. He also uh, he also healed um, those oppressed by demons. So those that were under, under the most severe spiritual attacks, those who were being controlled to do harmful and evil things to their bodies, like jumping into a fire, or screaming from caves, or breaking free of chains that, that, no, that a whole village couldn't even tie somebody down with. We'll run into those situations as we continue in, in the Gospel of Matthew but he would have healed people that were labeled lunatics. He would have been able to heal people that were madmen. He would have been able to heal people, that, he, he to heal people that, that, that we look at and we just diagnose. And I'm not saying that every psychological disorder is a demonic possession or oppression or anything like that, but Jesus healed them. That's what I'm saying. Jesus healed everything. He healed, as we continue on, people with seizures. So people that would have lost control of their bodies um, and, and, and passed out or twitched on the ground. Things that even the most steady surgeon's hand and most technologically advanced scalpel or robotic surgeons that today, probably they, they wouldn't even go about trying to fix it because maybe it's in a portion of the brain that if they mess this up, they kill a person and they just can't do it. Or things that we, we can't even properly diagnose yet. And then he healed paralyzations. People who were lame and couldn't walk well. Those who might have dragged a leg because of malformed muscles. Or maybe they couldn't move their arm properly because, because of something that had happened to it. He also healed people that were so non-functional that they had to be lowered by, a, by, by just a mat down somebody's roof. Jesus healed them all. Every one of them. And think about the people that Jesus healed. So not just the things that he healed, but the people. All these people, whether they were infected with a disease or afflicted by demons, or they had seizures, or they were paralyzed, they would have been the worthless. They would have been the people that nobody cared about. The fact that they can even make it to Jesus... is is incredible, probably means that somebody would have cared about him, but not much. They would have been been the non-productives in the society. Jesus took the most worthless people in, in the society of the time, and he proved his message and his teaching and his proclamation to them by doing this healing. Now, doubtless... Doubtless, many people who received the healing that we're reading about here would have, would have just gone home after it. Maybe they said, thanks, Jesus. Gone home, made themselves a cup of tea, and started a career without even giving, giving it a second thought. Maybe their second thought was, well, I'll just, I'll just wait to serve him until he's a real king. Those people, those people made a wrong decision. But even so, even with all the, even with people leaving, great crowds followed him. That's what we read here, verse twenty-five. Great crowds followed him from Galilee, which is where he was, and the Decapolis. Decapolis literally means ten cities. It would have been a major metropolis, probably ten cities that were like interlinked with each other. It's a Greek word, probably would have been a Gentile uh, collaboration of cities. So Galilee from Decapolis, and then from Jerusalem, and Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When we read that, uh, that in verse 24, that his fame th- spread throughout all of Syria. We're talking a major region. And then Matthew does us a favor and breaks down at least what, what that would have been considered at the time, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. All these people came to him, Jews, Gentiles, heathens. They all came to him and they were healed. But by him just speaking healing, this wasn't hard for Jesus. And really, all these people coming in sets the stage for the next couple chapters of Matthew, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where it's Jesus giving a huge sermon uh, to, to these crowds of people that had gathered from everywhere. So Jesus really had two purposes. I, I've mentioned that they, they authenticate his message, but he had two purposes. Um, so when, when we read these verses about Jesus' healing, we need to keep in mind that they, one, authenticate his message and teaching in a way that nobody else would have been able to do, and two, to point toward his redemption of mankind in the world. So like I said any any madman any any lunatic can come up and claim to be king and have even great teaching but listen man if they don't have an army behind them <laughs> ain't nobody going to believe they're a king I mean I could I could put on I could go on Facebook I could go on Twitter and I could I could put myself as like uh, a Twitter handle at king of the universe if that's probably taken I'm, I can almost guarantee that's taken so but I can claim that but if you don't see an army That's able to conquer this whole world Then you're not going to believe I'm the king of the universe So Jesus was doing these incredible things to prove that when he's when he taught what he taught and when he proclaimed what he proclaimed he he, he was the real deal man he was, he was all true. He was doing what he intended to do, and he was doing it perfectly. But you know, here's the thing. What's really disappointing to me about this situation is that, that I know that, um, that I, I'd go out and see him if I thought I could be healed, but I wouldn't have gone for his message. If I were in the first century, if I lived in the Decapolis... And had to travel to see him I, I i wouldn't unless there was some big reason to go and i i know that's selfish of me uh I, I i you you can throw every theological argument at me and i will totally agree yes scott is selfish self-centered um and scott would have probably been more concerned with um with paying the bills than scott would have been about hearing the king of the universe speak If I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, come listen to this guy. He really knows what he's talking about. I'd shrug it off and I'd just go back to fishing, farming, carpentry, whatever I was doing. But God, knowing not only my stubborn heart, but your stubborn hearts and the, the people, the people of, of the first century's stubborn hearts knew that there had to be something that he would do that would authenticate this ministry that he was doing. And, you know, also speaking of people that would have walked away from it, I can almost guarantee that there were people that walked away from getting healed and they were like, well, you know, I would have gotten better eventually. Listen, that still happens. (laughs) Uh, God still heals, but it's usually through providential means. Him providing the means for us to have advancements like hospitals and sanitizing equipment and and, uh, and uh, germ theory, which really did revolutionize the medical theory, or the medical field. As soon as germs were discovered, all of a sudden now, boom, we get it. Now we know why people are getting sick, at least for the most part. Let's study this. We spent 500 years studying it. We've had major medical advancements in the last three to four, uh, 300 years-ish, especially. So God still heals. And even though these things are done by people's hands in a hospital, by a surgeon, God still allowed us to discover this stuff so that we might give him glory. That's a kindness of God. Nowadays, when we, when we, can, when we can get something like the flu and then go and get Tamiflu and get better when 50 years ago, that flu would have killed us. It's the kindness of God. Jesus was being so kind here in in these verses. And people came to him because of his kindness. Not just, you got to think about the motivation there. Jesus wasn't just healing to heal. He was doing it because he was kind. And we find out in in Romans, uh, Romans 2.4, the apostle says, uh, says this, or do you presume on the riches of his his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness toward you is meant to lead you to repentance. Jesus's kindness here was meant to lead these people to repentance. That's the that's one of the major pieces of the Sermon on the Mount. Is it? It's constantly proclaiming, repent, repent, repent. You're, you're not, you're, you're, you, you don't know the real things that you're doing. You don't know the damage that you're doing. You don't know what's true. Let me tell you. So people were coming because he was able to authenticate it. But Jesus is healing. Um, it, well, just backtracking, I'm sorry. What we do see here, I want to make this point very clear. We see a lot of people getting healed by Jesus but not everybody in the world was healed by Jesus. See, Jesus' healing ministry, and actually he gave it to the apostles, uh, we we find out in Matthew 10, but Jesus' healing ministry was was not universal. It was geographical. It was was in a particular area. There has never, ever, ever been a healer like Jesus who could heal with word or deed. Never has Jesus' healing ministry is exceptionally unique. He could do it with just speaking or touching them. He he didn't ask anything in return. He never blamed the other person for not getting healed when he healed them. What he did was sure, it was done, it was accomplished. It wasn't hard for him. So, this, this geographic healing. That made people come to him at that time really was supposed to be very public to get people there so that he could point to something even more grand see physical healing is is a wonderful kindness of God but it's not the whole story it's not it's not what it's about it really isn't even in this text where we read that Jesus healed lots of people the point is that people came. So his fame spread. So, therefore, this was Jesus' purpose. He was spreading his fame and having great, cl- great crowds come to him. See, Jesus' healing was supposed to point toward the fact that, or point, point toward his redemption of mankind and this world. We still live in a sin-wrecked world. But this text reminds us that there's going to come a day where sin is actually fully eradicated. It's, it's fully destroyed. Jesus will return. He's going to redeem this world. He's gonna, that's what redemption is. He's going to redeem it. I'm not talking about punching in the numbers on a gift card on Amazon. I'm talking, I'm talking about he's going to come and he's going to fix it. He's, he's, he's going to take what's his, which is everything, and he's going to make it right again. Jesus's healing of all these people was a foretaste of that reality yeah, what even even while Jesus was was healing on earth and the gift that he then bestowed on the apostles again that's Matthew 10 verses 7 and 8 it, it was it was meant to look forward see when we look at healing we tend to look at the here and now we don't we don't really look and and even if we look forward we look forward a couple years my all my 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 back. I mean, I've got massive neck problems. My neck problems bug me. I'm, I like, I'll be talking to someone, and I'll just throw my neck like that, and you'll hear it go crack, crack. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that that annoys me. I'm sure it annoys other people. They think I probably have a tick, but really, it's just that my neck is locking up. But, uh, but I, I mean, we don't look in the future when we, if we get healing. If I wake up and I have a good day with my neck and I'm not having to crack it, then. You know, I'm just looking at today, looking at getting through today. But, but the point of Jesus' healing is, is something so much further forward. We, we should be looking forward to the day expectantly and hopefully and joyfully when God redeems it and sin is gone and back problems are, are no more, knee problems, no more. That, that stuff will be totally gone. When we read about this healing, I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I know people and I know myself as I've read it in the past. I've been jealous. Why can't I get healed by Jesus? Why can't I? Jesus, why can't you just heal me from my neck problem? Jesus, why can't you heal me from my social awkwardness? Jesus, why can't you heal me from, uh, from, from having a voice that sounds like I'm mad all the time? Well, he can't but the redemption that's in him is so much greater. And the reality is, honestly, that the diseases Jesus healed were nothing compared to the sin sickness that we have in our souls. You see, we should look forward to a day where there's no more illness, no more cancer, no more Down syndrome, no more autism, no more bum legs, no more strokes, no more coronaviruses. We should look forward to that day. We should have that hope and that joy. But Jesus didn't die for those. Jesus didn't have to die so that those things could be healed. He did that before he died. No, Jesus had to die to save our souls from the condemnation we deserve. Because our souls are sick, not just our bodies. Our minds are sick, not just our bodies. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued, not just from illnesses in this world, not just from pains in this world, but from the fact that we ourselves are so ingrained with sin that we are actually a pain in ourselves. So when we read verses like these, we need to remember that, again, God's providing for physical healing is nothing in comparison to what was needed to accomplish salvation. Listen, all of us want to get healed on earth. None of us want to suffer. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, mm, I'm going to have a bowl of Cheerios and I'm going to suffer today. This is going to be a great day. None of us does that. We, we don't have that mentality. We don't look forward to pain. So we need something better, something stronger, something more long-lasting, something that's going to carry us into eternity with joy instead of just walking around belly aching about, about our problems. And again, I'm not trying to discount your problems. Uh, we, 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 we all have pains and we need to pray for each other and we need to have compassion on one another. If somebody, if somebody has a, a leg that's not working, um, we need to love them and care for them and maybe even get them crutches from somebody, maybe even give up a pair of crutches. We need to show that compassion. That's that's part of what responding to the gospel does. But regardless of whether or not we get healed on this earth, our hope needs to be secure in the true healing of our souls that Jesus accomplished on the cross. We can look forward to the day when this stuff doesn't exist. When Scott might be able to run a mile in in less than 14 minutes. We can look forward to that stuff. But we need to remember that really, really it's Jesus' teaching. It's his preaching that, that our hearts need, our souls need. That's why I wanted to cover this text separate is because it, it, it tells us straight up Jesus authenticates it. He, he authenticates his message. He proves his message. And it straight up tells us that when God says something, it's as good as done. So when we hear that there's going to be a day when this is no more, we can joyfully accept it. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, you knew what we needed. You know what we need. You know every single day what we go through better than we do. And as we suffer and struggle, I pray for your mercy to be extended on us with with healing, that you would give us the strength to carry on when our body really wants to break down. But you're the one that numbers our days, God. You're You're the one we can rest in. You're the one that's carried us this far. As all those crowds came to you and you healed them, I I can't imagine the relief that some of them felt. But so many of them, after getting healed, just walk off. And then they never come back. We need more than physical healing, Lord. And that's why you died. You gave us the rescue we truly need. May we rejoice in that, O God. May we rejoice in you May we make much of you for the fact that, that, that that's, that's really what we need, Lord. And you knew it. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I and everyone in this world have an ailment, have an illness, have an issue, have a problem, have a disability, have something. But there's only one ailment that took the Son of God to die for us, to save us from. Jesus died for our sin. That is good news. Go in peace, saints.